I need to get this out of my system before we get started. But I need to get in the obligatory, these bitches gay. Good, Good for, for them. them. Good for them. <laughs> hey there, listeners. Come on. Come on in. Sit yourself down by the fire here. This is an episode-by-episode watch-along podcast for the new Wheel of Time TV show. Unless, of course, you're listening at some point after the inevitable reboot, in which case this is a podcast about the old Wheel of Time TV show. But never mind that dark feature, and never mind the Trollocs. Here's the podcast! Hi, listeners. Hey, how are you doing? Here's the podcast. I'm Sarah. Uh, she and they pronouns. And um, whenever I was in my 20s in university, you know, reading Wheel of Time books once again, I used to get sent little care packages from my parents who were living in India at the time. Some of these included uh, the little cones of henna. And what I used these cones of henna to do was to temporarily tattoo dragons around my forearms and herons into my palms. That won't mean much unless you're a book reader, but that is a thing I did for several months of my life, actually. Sick. Did anyone ever brush their hand across your tattoo and say, these are new, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Tom, he, him pronouns, and I guess my L is really a kind of W in this case. But I don't get any points for it, because as Nina can attest, right when the opening credits to this episode started rolling, I said that we were going to get a scene of Moraine and Suan making out. I called it, I am a prophet, but because <laughs> I did not predict it on this podcast, I get no points for it. Rip. And I'm Nina, she, they pronouns. My L for this week is that I actually had the kissing spoiled for me, uh, and so... Uh, some of my impressions of earlier scenes of this episode were maybe colored by what I already knew was going to happen, but uh, still pretty fun. And I'm Max, he, him pronouns. My L for this week is that the kissing was also spoiled for me in that I knew it happened, but I completely in no way could have predicted that it would have been Moraine and Swan. No, I have to ask, was it me that spoiled it for you guys? No, it was Julia. It wasn't you, but it was an account you follow, which mm. I think I saw okay, you yeah. interact with and was like, oh, I'm curious about this. And I looked at that account and then right at the top of that account was mm. the scene. <laughs> so Important media. Hey, listeners, if you didn't know, <laughs> these bitches gay. <laughs> Good for them. Good for them. <laughs> Good for them. Oh, yeah. Real, real win this week for uh, everyone's fishwife, Swan Sanche, and her girlfriend, Maureen Damadred. We do get her name this week, so I'm allowed to say that. We got her name. Didn't we get her name like week one? Only the first part of her name. Oh. Not the not the Damadred I guess part. I've been looking at the Amazon X-ray, so I've known it's Damadred. Mm. I could have sworn mm. they said it once. <laughs> like a... I, I'm certain they've said it before, but... I mean, eh. in the... In the same mm. way, they sort of throw away lines, some terms that they don't explain. Like, we still don't mm -hmm. know what a Taveran is. They mentioned stilling this week without explaining what precisely that means. Yeah. I know. I, I do like it when they do that, because yeah. it's like, it's just pepper those in for mm -hmm. a little bit of spice. Yeah, it makes sense. It's normal for them in their world. 
It's like, I don't have to explain what a phone charger is to everyone I talk to it about. <laughs> yeah. And it, for us, it like, it sets up an um, expectation that then feels good when it gets paid off later on. Like it feels mm -hmm. good to have something explained to you that you've been wondering about, yeah. but it, you don't get the same thing if they just immediately explain what it is. Mm. Yeah. yeah. In a similar way, it's also funny when someone tries to explain what something is in great detail, another character interrupts with the most simple explanation possible. <laughs> the ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So this episode is unique in all of the episodes that we've had so far in that it only follows Moran around. It kind of is the Moraine episode, isn't it? Like every episode, yeah. every scene is a Moraine scene. It's like, what is she doing? What is she doing with her day? Where is she? We just follow her and it just leads us through everything. Girl boss type episode. Well, you know, we commented earlier that one of the ways the show deviates from the books is by making it more of an ensemble cast, by moving the perspective around more. But despite all of that, this has really been a show about Moraine so far. Yeah. Yeah. So, what has this episode been about? Let's get into your recap. What's it called for, Sarah? I don't know. <laughs> is, this is episode... You go talk. This episode is The Flame of Tarvalon. That makes a lot of sense. The flame is their romance. Mm. Wow. That was, that was <laughs> terrible. Okay. Recap time. Face boost that in post. I'm face boosting that. <laughs> We've had a little reverb. All right, now I have to compose myself. <laughs> Suan Sanche, Emerlin's seat of the Aes Sedai, was not born into power. A fisherman's daughter from Tyr, she was driven from home by the local hatred of channelers. But that was a long time ago. Now she returns from her travels to preside over the trial of the false dragon Loghain, and to question the women who captured and gentled him. Despite his goading, she sentences Loghain to a life of imprisonment, and as the guards drag him away, he begs for death. Then the stern, stately woman turns her gaze on Moraine, Leandrin, and Alana. While representatives of each of the seven Aja listen silently from their raised seats, the three try to explain why they were justified in defying the Amberlin's orders, but she is unmoved, and dismisses them all to await her judgment. Before they leave, Leandrin takes the opportunity to stir up suspicion against Moraine and the rest of the Blues, and to suggest that the Amerlin plays favorites, having been a Blue herself. Despite direct questioning from the Amerlin, Moraine refuses to explain what she's been up to all these years. Leandrin is not the only one who will be receiving a penance. Afterwards, Moraine and Lan go into the city, They've found Rand and Matt, and despite Moraine's frustration that they didn't come to her, that Nynaeve didn't tell her, she heals Matt of the Dagger's Curse. Across the city, a group of yellow Aes Sedai tend to the recently arrived Egwene and Perrin. Of course, Moraine knows of their arrival, and has visited them too, but she keeps the groups apart and unaware of each other, for now. Meeting with the head of her Aja, Moraine learns that there are concerns about the balance of power among the Aes Sedai, and that in every quarter there are strange, ominous happenings. The head of the Blues offers to intervene with the Amerlin, but wants Moraine to stay in the tower permanently. That night, after preparing for bed, Moraine casts a weave at a painting on her wall, and a hidden passage opens between her room and the Amerlin's. She and Suan are secretly lovers, and have been for some time. 
Not only that, but the two have been working together all along to find the dragon and make certain that whoever it is defeats the Dark One rather than joins him. Lately, Suan has been having dreams of the Dark One, weakened at the eye of the world, and she thinks they should confront him as soon as they can, before his power grows. To that end, Moraine's punishment for defying the Amerlin must be exile. It is the only thing that will supersede the orders from the head of her Aja, and allow her to continue her mission. When the Hall reconvenes the next day, the Amerlin pronounces the punishment. Gasps susurrate through the Hall, and Moraine swears to obey the exile on the sacred oath rod. Bound by the source, the oath rod makes this oath unbreakable. Once it is done, every sister in the hall turns their back on Moraine, and she leaves, not to return until Suan calls her home. She rides to the open grasslands outside the city, stopping at a freestanding stone gate. There, Loyal meets her with Perrin and Egwene, and soon they are joined by Lan with Rand and Matt. Happy reunions are cut short, they must go, and stop the Dark One now before the whole world burns. They will take the ways, magical paths out of time and space, to the eye of the world, to the Dark One's prison, with Loyal as their guide. They still don't know which among them is the Dragon Reborn, and some of them may not survive. Weaving the One Power, Moraine opens the gate. In ones and twos, the rest of them follow her inside until only Matt stands on the grassy plain, and despite the urging of his friends, he is still there when the magical gate shrinks closed. I know that they wouldn't have had Google Maps in Fantasy World, but I didn't think that they have ways. <laughs> <laughs> We're detecting a large trollic presence on the road ahead. Please seek an alternative route. <laughs> let's, uh, let's just address the elephant not in the room right off the bat. Um, hmm. So the actor playing Matt left the show. Yeah. Bye, Barney. Do you want to talk about possible reasons for that now or put it in spoiler chat? Um, Maybe put that in spoiler chat. But Sarah, can you give us kind of a rundown on what we know about the um, real world circumstances and timeline? Not speculation, but just like what we know. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the only thing like because they've all been very like cagey, not cagey, but like no one has been able to say literally anything. Mm -hmm. I, I'm assuming everyone's sworn to like 50 million NDAs about yeah, like, this why this happened. But all we know is that at some point, I think around September, October, it was announced that Barney Harris would not be returning to play Matt in season two and that another actor, Donald Finn, had been cast. And everyone was like, whoa, what the McFuck? Um, and then, you know, people have since looked back on you know how the filming of the show was interrupted during covid and it sort of seems that their first batch of filming which was between i think like september 2019 and sort of march april 2020 they did the first six episodes i'm assuming this is because a bit of a tangent but every two episodes have the same director so i'm assuming they just did them in pairs mm. so they managed to get the first six done and then before they could do uh, seven and eight they had to stop for covid and it sort of just looks like Barney just didn't return when they resumed filming. Um, so obviously this means that he is not in episodes seven and eight. Um, so it would seem that the way this episode ends 
it's just like that because they didn't have the actor and they had to sort of finagle something together to explain why. Mm-hmm. And this presents some interesting possibilities for uh, ways they could alter the story in order to take account of Matt staying behind. Motivations for why he might have done that, what he might be doing while everyone else is off at the eye of the world. But it'll probably not be until season two that we'll get any kind of uh, answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah. If they even do that at all, maybe he just shows up later and is like, hey, guys. (laughs) I did literally nothing that whole time. So that time. just happened. That's so funny. <laughs> I went on a bender and was asleep for two months. What happened? <laughs> Sorry, guys. I found a second dagger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like the most logical thing for them to do, the easiest thing from the story writer's perspective, is Matt goes back for the dagger. The evil is still inside of yeah. him. He sees all of his friends go through the gate and he's like, this is my opportunity. I'm going back. What it reminds me of is, I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with the Evangelion Rebuild movies, mm-hmm. but... Only the first two. Okay, because what happens if is... If you're going to say anything about the later ones, don't. No, I won't, I won't, I won't. All I'm saying is, like, you if you've seen the original show, you know that they diverge from being a faithful adaptation. Mm-hmm. And I'm not... I don't expect them to do, like... To wildly diverge from the story, but it reminds me of that where it, like this one kind of ends with like just a lot of questions like Matt's gone like that's not supposed supposed to happen, I guess. And mm-hmm. I, like it, it feels like a problem that they can find a satisfying solution to in that like it can surprise book readers and everything. Mm. Re- remind me when we get to the spoiler section, because I have an idea about this that would be mm. just impossibly dumb, and I hope they don't do it. <laughs> Release the Tom but cut. The, the chaos, the chaos part of me wants them to do it. <laughs> so remind me when we get to spoilers to share with you my chaos idea. Because actually, because when I first watched episode six, like I didn't know that Barney had left the show mm. between then. Like I had no idea. But whenever I was watching the episode, I remember because there's that scene of like Matt just gets healed of the dagger and like he's fine. He's fine. And mm-hmm. and I was sitting there thinking, I was like, well, what's Matt gonna do now? Like his sort of arc is ostensibly over. Like, oh yeah, he'll get fucked up if he goes and touches the dagger again, and I'm sure that's gonna be a thing. But like as of that scene, his story arc had sort of closed and was finished and he had nothing else to do. So I was sort of spent half the episode being like, What the fuck? Like, what's Matt gonna do now? And then Whenever at the very end, like he left, I was like, part of me was like, oh, actually, this makes sense. Like Matt's story continues. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, not knowing that Barney had left the show, I was like, oh, like this feels like an intentional written thing. And then you know, logging onto Twitter.com and being like, oh, right, no, he just left the show. Okay. <laughs> I thought it felt pretty in keeping with the character, actually, because of everyone, he feels like the most skeptical about all these prophecies and all of this doom and gloom stuff Maureen has been telling them. He's got the the strongest pull to go home of anybody and is kind of the most, like, selfish of all the characters. And so (laughs) uh, him sort of on the cusp of well, come with us to do this scary, dangerous thing and you might die versus, you know, not going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. feel that strange for him to decide on balance. He does not want to be a part of this. Yeah. I mean, for <laughs> yeah. how much characterization and interiority we got out of the kids in the first, like, 
Whitney and I were actually just talking about this. It feels weird to call them kids because we know they've all come of age, but also they're children, they're babies. <laughs> yeah. You're, um, you're a kid kids. when you're still 20. You're still a kid. In the sort of traveling, adventuring party they've created, the this this fellowship of the one power, if you will. Fellowship of um, the wheel. They're kind of the hobbits. So maybe instead of the kids, we can just call... Anyway, so yeah. our hobbits, like we got so much yeah. character development for them uh, in those like first three episodes... But since then, it's really been the all Moraine show. Mm. So we haven't really seen how the dagger has affected Matt's like persona besides making him vomit carpet and get like really tired. Mm. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of room for us to interpret this as just like an earnest Matt behavior. Yeah. Classic Matt. Now, unfortunately, it had been spoiled for me before I watched the episode. So I didn't get that authentic. Uh, uh, response, but I can totally see how you would get that, Sarah. Mm. And yeah, because I also like I asked sort of friends, you know, because I had a friend, and they were like, "Oh, I'm like my mom's watching the show, like she hasn't seen it." And I was like, "Can you just tell me if like she thinks that this is normal for Matt?" And like they texted me, was like, "My mom thinks that Matt is a quote unquote plunker, and that this is <laughs> totally in character for him." And I'm like, "Yeah, that that tracks." Ah. I mean, the real answer is that Maureen is playing by Pokemon rules and you can only have six companions at a time. So she had to put Matt back in the PC to get Loyal on her team. <laughs> seven companions? Like the seven Ajas? Mm-hmm. That was another question I have, I guess, maybe for spoilers. Seems to be more than four colors. Wait, what was the question? I thought there were only going to be four Ajas, red, blue, green, yellow, but there seemed to be more than that. Yes. Brown, yes. brown white, and gray are the other ones who show up okay. in that tower sequence. It's not a spoiler because we do literally see yeah. all right. of them parade there. My question was going to be, what do they do? And that might be a spoiler, I guess, if the show yeah, doesn't I'll tell, tell us. Tell you what, I'll tell you what they do in the spoilers. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Magic stuff. Do they do nice to die business? Yeah. <laughs> Plotting and conniving and scheming. <laughs> scheming and yeah, smooching. Sure. We've established smooching is part of the Aes Sedai package. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, they need an Aja for therapy. <laughs> so I guess that's the yellows because they do healing. Physical therapy, sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, so yeah, this is very much uh, to leave Matt behind for a second or perhaps two more episodes. Um, this is really the Moraine show. Um, but before it becomes the Moraine show, we do have that sort of cold open with uh, Bibi Swan. Mm-hmm. Here, there's no ambiguity about calling her a kid. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, she's like 10, maybe 13. Yeah, yeah she's a kid. She's a squid. She's a pike. I did wonder where they uh where they filmed that um like high altitude shot of Tyr where it's on the river and there are all the rice paddies alongside of it. Was, I love that. I got mad flashbacks. I lived in Indonesia for a long time growing Ooh. up. So mm. that all felt very like familiar. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, that could be Indonesia or Vietnam or <laughs> Malaysia or <laughs> mm. very pretty yeah. shot. Yeah. yeah, we do get like one little shot of a sneaky little building in the background. Yeah, I noticed there's like a sort of castle with like an aqueduct or bridge or something off to the Perhaps side. Perhaps some it. kind of fortress. Sarah, mm. I'm warning you. It's Kara Morhen from The Witcher series. Uh, yeah, that's where it is. I just I love I love this characterization of Tyr. I mean, one of the I think best things about the show has been giving a visual character to these different places. Mm. Like in the books, there are. It's not a spoiler to say so many countries, so many different cultures. And like 
mostly all I remember about Tyr is that they hate channelers. Yeah. It would appear so. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think what I really like in particular about this, I guess what we're establishing about Tyr and Tyrant culture is the little geometric tattoos. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I like that it's not... I feel like when a lot of fantasy properties go for a tattooed look for like a certain like civilization a lot of times they'll like draw from polynesian type tattoos or like pacific mm. islander ta- i i mean yeah from what i'm familiar with so i'm glad that they kind of gave it its own like identity and it didn't make i didn't immediately look at it like i looked at the um the tuatha on hairstyles and i didn't like recoil immediately i guess yeah because i guess the like the tattooing style that Swan and like her father have is very distinctive. Yeah. To my mind, like this, I can't really con- like I don't know shit fuck about tattooing in the real world, but like I can't really connect it to like any real world uh, um, tradition of tattooing like immediately, which is is nice. It sort of feels like its own thing. It's not like obviously just like oh they've got the. the I would Maori- love a fantasy race that only has Sailor Jerry style tattoos. <laughs> I want that so badly. I'm kind of imagine. Sorry, I'm- <laughs> I had a very cursed thought, which is that Siwan like has on her forearm in like the old tongue. Only the creator can judge me. <laughs> and on the other arm, it's if you don't love me at my like fishing village girl, you don't deserve me at my Emerlin seat. <laughs> and I'm gonna kill you, Ishamayel. You don't accept me at my strong as a pike. You don't deserve me at, at my um, stronger than the tides. Sorry, clever as a pike. That's right. Um, we got there. Yeah, we. Yeah, well, I'll go back and edit it so it's seamless and that no one will notice. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I'm getting sentimental in my old age, but her parting with her dad got me really emotional. Mm-hmm. It was. Mm. It was very because like her dad gives her the boat to go down the river, and he has one hand, and like we've seen him struggle untying a net with just his mouth and one hand. It's like. Damn, you really that, feel that he's going to have a terrible life without her. I really, okay, I really only just connected that because Swan was leaving and she was like, how are you going to manage with like no boat? And I was like, and no house and no. But they've got a boat right there. <laughs> it's there. And I've just realized that she took it away. If Swan's father has yeah. one boat and Swan takes one boat to travel to the White Tower. How many boats does Swan's father have? <laughs> I, I don't know. Swan wants see. to transport a cabbage, a rabbit, and a fox to the yeah. White Tower. <laughs> Um, the White Tower of Hanoi. <laughs> I do, I do like um, Swan's dad like missing a hand. Like the show is very like normal about it, and I quite like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it was not at all uncommon for seafarers. Oh as yeah. An injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I uh, I thought it was interesting. I think Max had said when we were talking ahead of time about things we want to address that you felt like the flashback was cool, but didn't tell us much about. Suan internally, mm-hmm. which I mm. agree that that's true, but I felt like I got a lot just, we've already established through Nynaeve that the Aes Sedai are kind of pretentious and highfalutin, and even with women who can channel, if they're not from a certain strata of society, you might just not get let in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm. And so the fact that she is from this faraway place and a pretty lowly social position with no wealth and no family really to help her, and that she is now the Amerlin seat, mm-hmm. 
tells you a lot about her. True. Okay, that's fair. Mm. Yeah. And um, there's a lot in this episode to show us that a lifetime as nice to die doesn't erase the differences that you had going in. That mm-hmm. everybody knows Moiraine is Lady Moiraine Damadred. And everybody, mm. like, that, that that still matters to people. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that Siwan, even though she has become the Amerlin seat, when she, like, relaxes in the evening, it's not in the tower. It's in a fishing hut somewhere. Yeah. And she, like, yeah. makes... I, I can't quite tell if she's knitting or if she's making nets. But I think she's, she's doing, making a net. She's not yeah. knitting. She's making. netting. She's not only she's still... Netting. She not only still has the traditional, like, Tyron fisher person tattoos, she keeps getting new ones. She's still yeah. in touch with yeah. that part of her culture. Yeah. I love that you mentioned her room because I didn't think it was someplace outside the tower. I thought that was just how her room in the tower is. <laughs> like she probably has formal spaces where she entertains people, but she has this space that's hers mm. that looks like that, which I thought was very interesting because it contrasts so abruptly with Moraine's room, mm. which is so empty <laughs> and cold mm. and stone mm-hmm. with yeah. no decorations or trinkets or anything. <laughs> and then... Right. And I think that's part of showing this, like, the continuity with these people's, like, origins. Moraine comes from a noble family, and so her room is very austere and medieval. Um, she has her, like, fancy mirror and her hand creams and her immaculate, like, white night robe. Although not after the, not after her romantic encounter. I just thought that her room was like that because she's never in it. That's it. So there's just nothing there. Why, why bother decorating if you're gone for two yeah. years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, remember, she is a lady from a fallen house. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I thought was a little interesting, I guess, while we're on the topic of rooms, this might be a question for later on, but we saw her looking at this kind of like, I don't even know what you'd call it. It's that little box on her wall. Yeah, the like, it's just like a... Painting, but it's, the frame is a door. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. very church-like, and yeah. mm-hmm. that connects to. I, I call I call it the swamp shack in my notes. I called it the love shack in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you hear wetland animals on the outside yeah, of the shack. I, my read on the the like the love shack room was that it was either a place outside of like the tower or either like outside of like reality that it was mm. like a separate place that you go through the painting mm-hmm. magical item whatever it is to get to like that was what I thought that it's was like a mini ways and you can see with how sort of like well like we we see both uh Swan's room in the tower and the love shack are both pretty well like decked out and decorated and seemed lived in. Yeah. So you can tell that when Moiraine was around, they were probably going here like most every single night. Which is yeah. probably another reason why Moiraine's room is so empty because she's not spending nights in her own bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just it was just very unexpected to see that they had a romance. And that really immediately like clued me in on, oh, that's why Moiraine is cagey with literally everyone else in the entire ISI organization because she's fucking the boss. <laughs> and both of them have been lying for years mm-hmm. every yeah. moment of every day in order to keep that secret this is yeah. actually why i predicted that we were going to get a scene of them making out because it's, they've made it so clear in the show that they are publicly enemies and yet having read the books i knew that they were secretly allies and i was like mm-hmm. what 
is going to be the most impactful, fastest way to show us that. And it's going to be successive scenes where in public they yell at each other and then in private they kiss each other. Yeah, because like the scene where they go into the love shack and Maureen says the epic line of get on your knees, it just like it then recontextualizes the previous time we heard the words get on your knees, which is yeah. in sort of Logan's mm-hmm. trial scene. Well, because I, I was watching that and like as a book reader, like I know I'm like, well, Maureen and Swan are like working together. And I was watching that scene and I was like, why are the vibes in this scene so weird? Like, why is Moraine so fucking terrified? Like, surely she should be calm because she knows that, like, Swan, like, has her back. But it turns out that on a rewatch, Moraine's just fucking horny. That's you. Right. So I was curious, having had the kiss spoiled for me already, Mm. I really enjoyed how expressive Rosamund Pike's face is in this whole episode but that first trial scene i'm like i can't tell if i'm supposed to be seeing terror or longing or both (laughs) yeah it's she's so fucking good good. well she's doing that very very difficult thing of acting like you're acting yeah yeah she has the range i also this feels like a tv show made for streaming era because like that is a scene designed for you to see it differently on a rewatch. This is a shot that mm-hmm. should be taught in all film studies courses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every movie needs to include a close-up shot of Rosamund Pike's face. Yeah. It's just cinema 101, people. <laughs> Cinematography. You know, she calls her mother in the hall, but she should call her mommy when they're in the shack. <laughs> mommy? Sorry. Mommy? <laughs> I hate when you call me that. <laughs> the mother thing made me think of nuns, because... Nuns call each other sister, except for the mother superior for their order, who is called mother. Well, and they Mm. make reference to a rule about not having any love of one's own, which also feels very like like a convent. Mm -hmm. You're pledged to a higher power. Yeah, Yeah, so like the the Amarlin seat must love all her children equally, which means not fucking any one of them. (laughs) Yeah, earlier that day. I don't care for Leandrin. (laughs) (laughs) It is funny to think... You know, how important it is for Suan to enforce this power differential between her and the other Aes Sedai, because that helps her maintain power. But then that you have this power reversal when they're in private that is Mm, kind of essential mm. for their relationship to function. Yeah. 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 Because like in the Love Shack, like it's very evident that like Morin is the one leading their quest to find the Dragon Reborn because she's the one out there doing the work. And, you know, Swan's at home holding down the Mm -hmm. fort. Yeah. Well, not always at home. Well, and you get that scene when Suan is talking to Nynaeve and Egwene. And Mm. she gives this speech about, like, the wheel doesn't care what you want. The wheel doesn't care what you thought your life was going to be like. The wheel calls you to this purpose. And when she's talking about, like, wanting to just live at home, live a simple, inconsequential life, love the people you love, You know, she's talking about her dad, since that tension was introduced at the very beginning of the episode. Mm. Yet the camera keeps cutting to Moraine, and you can tell that they're also thinking about each other. Like, they would like nothing more than for Moraine to stay in the tower and just be able to be normal for a minute. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The, um... The other moment that was a big, like, oh my god, Rosamund Pike's face moment for me was 
right before she goes to see Suan in the love shack. And Lan is sort of teasing her a little bit. Uh, and she looks so excited and happy and also a little bit nervous because who wouldn't be when they haven't yeah. spent time with their lover no. in two or more years? That first kiss is so tentative. They feel so nervous, like they're yeah. kissing for the first time. And that also probably helps illustrate another reason why Maureen is so uncomfortable being back at the tower. Because like, yes, yeah, she gets to spend time with Swan, but at the same time, whenever she's not spending time with Swan, she's always like walking on eggshells, trying to be so careful and everything. So like, yeah, sure, yeah, I would hate being there too if like all I could do while I was there is like have people do high school click shit at me and then like have to hide that I'm fucking the principal or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's just it's not fun being around your girlfriend all the time if you have to like ninety percent of the time pretend that you hate your girlfriend. Like it's like yeah. a fucking summer camp romance or something. <laughs> God, that like that first like that scene where like Leandrin starts like stirring the shit pot like that. It's so like three like school kids called before the principal to like explain their actions like that is 100% the vibes of that scene they're just like squabbling and finger pointing Leandrin's actress is so good in that too she's like I'm sorry sister what did he say (laughs) like she's being so fucking like sniveling and catty it's oh god it makes you so mad at her Mm-hmm. also apparently Leandrin or Leandrin Alana eating fruit is just gonna be a thing now we always She's have to give you. Alana fruit to eat yeah that was odd I, I, I get I like that like she <laughs> she leaves and then her warder is like I can feel through the bond that mommy needs snack <laughs> he, he comes out with a tray of apple slices and peanut butter for her <laughs> um we should definitely talk about the outfits in that first opening trial scene um, cause we have, we have costume change for Maureen and also Alana and Leandra. Yeah. Everybody's in their, everybody's in their formal wear. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the first time we've seen Maureen's hair all the way up. She yes. looks so Liv Tyler in this scene. She looks exactly like, like I just looked at her and I'm like, Arwen, you're Arwen right now. I mean, this is not the only scene when they do that. When she opens the portal to the love shack, they do the like, exactly, very bright yeah. lighting on her. And it's they do that same effect in Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. multiple times. I will times. say, side note about the, the, the costuming in the love shack, but like the big oversized, like very masculine, like shirt nightdress thing that she wears that's like open down to her belly button. It's, oh. <laughs> this is a woman who's about to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and post coital, she has a different outfit. She has like a very relaxed red little like uh, much more feminine looking dress mm-hmm. top thing. Yeah, mm. I thought that costume yep. change felt a little silly, and <laughs> but whatever. Mm. Trading virginal white for scarlet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's just like it's like the, they sort of. They cut from like on your knees to like she's literally drinking a beer. It's so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cracking open a cold one. <laughs> she's cracking open. Anyway, a cold we one. were going to talk about the outfits uh, in that trial scene. Yeah, formal mm. wear. Formal wear. Moraine's feels like armor, which it it's is. like she got those the pointy shoulders because mm-hmm. she she has those the whole time with her like regular like you know trousers, traveling coat, cloak outfit. But, like, they stand out so much more on the the sort of court dress. 
And a bunch of the the other outfits that other Aes Sedai are wearing uh, look like some of them almost directly pulled from various uh, like recognizable costumes from around the world. I saw one that mm-hmm. looked very much like a sari. Uh, Tom yeah, pointed there's out like a Kamishimo looking one with one of the whites. Kamishimo. Kamishimo. I think Tom thought um, it was a kataginu with the pointy shoulders and the. Yeah, the kataginu is the like very recognizable sort of like shoulder wings part of that. Um, but yes, I think one of the greens is wearing that too. Yeah. Which tells me that there's going to be some region of the world where that's like normal clothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was like. Um... Megan, the like the head of the Blue Archer, who's from fucking Glasgow, I love her so much. <laughs> She's wearing like a very sort of distinctively, like sort of culturally distinctive outfit of mm-hmm. like trousers and sort of little jackety thingy, which felt like oh, that's a culture that she's from. I loved the texture and pattern on her jacket, which just made me excited to find out where Fantasy Glasgow is. <laughs> yeah, well, her she's wearing kind of a drapey thing over herself that. uh Looked like a tartan, a little bit. Mm. Like not a not a very bright or uh, the pattern wasn't super distinctive. But I thought I could mm. see some like woven tartany look to it. Yeah, and it's like Alana has like swapped like she's moved her titty chains to like shoulder chains. <laughs> that feels like she's like all right. This is a formal occasion. I must get my tits on. Yeah, they're unchained. Just Alana, yes, <laughs> titties unchained. <laughs> <laughs> I I might not have been looking close enough, but it didn't feel like Leandrin looked that different in her formal wear. Yeah, that's, no. I was wondering if she had changed. Not very. It I guess it illustrates just sort of how uptight she always is in that her quote unquote everyday outfit is so close to her formal outfit. Mm. And it's because I think both Maureen and Alana swapped trousers for skirts, but not mm-hmm. Leandrin. Was Lana wearing a skirt I in that scene? I don't remember. Um, another really cool thing I liked. So Maureen's headdress was one thing. The, the sort of jeweled mm. brooch over her forehead, which is, you know, that's always going to be a very striking part of the outfit. My favorite part about her was the gold foil, like, on the cuffs of her ears. That was really cool. That yeah. was a, a very, very cool little detail. And I only noticed on my second watch through, but the woman who has the staff and is sort of presiding mm-hmm. over things, uh, has some gold powder on her, the like part of her hair oh. and a little bit on her forehead. There's mm. like, I also, I also noticed that she also has some tattoos like around the she neck. She does. But they're like a different style of tattoos to Swan's tattoos. So I'm wondering if that's from her culture. And that's another thing too. Um, Swan's huge, flowy gold ceremonial dress. It's very open up front. You can see her tattoos. It's like you can tell that that is a very important part of her and that she's going to like show it off. Not like she's like, you know, breasting boobily around, but like, you know, like her whole chest is kind of like on display there so she can show off her tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. And she has the rainbow stole, the the many different colors. Yeah. it's. If I felt it was strange that because I think, I mean, this is a book relevant thing. Um, for non-readers, the symbol of the Amberlin seat is that like rainbow, or I guess whatever the colors of the Ajas is. Um, and I thought it was interesting that was like, incorporated into the design of her dress rather than being a separate. I garment. guess. Yeah. I don't know. It kind of makes sense in that like it it's incorporated so it would denote that she's not like too close to a yellow Aja or a white Aja with that light gold color she has. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like her, because the other the sitters, the people around the the circular hall, like are they're all dressed in like mostly the color of mm-hmm. their Aja. You know, to have the Amarillin in any one color, I guess sort of like this cream gold was maybe a choice to distinguish her. It should have been like hot pink or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Putting that rainbow element into her dress rather than as a thing that she wears over it does emphasize how like settled into this power she is. Yeah, like you you wonder if like this is a dress that she has had made or if that this is like the sort of official uh people garb mm. of the role of the Amarillin seat. Like is she wearing the clothing or is the clothing wearing mm. her? Especially when you're dealing with somebody whose title is also the name of their chair. Yeah, it it really reminded me of the Vatican and the Holy See and the Pope and how there's like four different words for the same exact thing, pretty much. Yeah. God, I love the sleeves on that, like, Pope (laughs) like The big, like, sunbursts on her shoulders. They're they're the best part of the outfit. Those are so good. Oh, Mm. pleading. (laughs) Probably took forever to make. Yeah, I I actually noticed there was there are only like seven filmmakers on this oh my show. God. I was like, what the fuck? For so many unique outfits, that's insane. Yeah, like I worked on a fucking movie last year, and there was like twenty of us for like just one movie, and this is like a TV show with like, ev- and everything has to be like, what the fuck? What the fuck? There should be eight makers, and the eighth maker should be Sarah. Just my opinion. Sheena, call me. <laughs> Excuse me, Jeff. Jeff Bezos, please. <sighs> and, and just going back to Swan's robe, like that robe contrasted with like what she's wearing in the Love Shack, which is just like real chill. Like we, she comes on and she's just in like a a wrap cloth, mm-hmm. and then like post she's just in like a robe, and then contrasted again with what she's wearing when she's in her like formal sitting room reception area for Nynaeve and Egwene, which is just like a chill sort of like tunic. Mm-hmm. It looks cozy. It looks like it's like fancy sweatpants. Yeah. Yeah. I was say, like, it, like a tuxedo. It manages it manages to look expensive but also relaxed and comfortable, which is hard to pull off. If yeah. she turned yeah. around, would it say juicy on the back? <laughs> It would probably say something like that, but it would be like fish related. <laughs> Scale. Don't know how. We'll, we'll workshop that one. Briny. And put it in the merch. Uh, she. <laughs> we go into Swan's sitting room and she's wearing that. And she's wearing a fantasy baseball cap that says, Men fear me, fish want me. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That has red vibes. Mm-hmm. See, I think that um, Maureen is the one wearing the men fear me, fish want me, and then Swan is wearing one saying, I'm the fish. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? So this is going a little ways back, but I, I, I kind of have come around on this Swan's intro scene in that, like, thinking of if anyone else in the White Tower would be the Amarillin seat, how different they would look in the role specifically related to the outfits. Um, Because again, fantasy sweatpants, if Leandrin was the Amarillin seat, I cannot see her wearing that. She would be wearing like formal gear 24-7. Her pajamas would be like, like some, you know, some insane like fashion show outfit. Yeah, she would be wearing the like, the, um, the robe that 
the widow answers the door to be like, oh, officer, I don't know what happened to my husband. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my husband disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Well, and instead of those big, like, sunburst or flower-like shoulder pads, Leandrin would just have, like, straight-up Mad Max spiked shoulder pads. Oh, I mean, that would look kind of sick, though. <laughs> no one is saying that evil doesn't look sick. That's one of evil's main positive attributes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was a little confused by Moraine uh, blackmailing Leandrin. Not that she would try to, because uh, obviously Leandrin's trying to stir shit up for Moraine. Mm-hmm. So, of course, she would want to have something on Leandrin just in case. Uh, but while we've established that the Reds don't really want anything to do with men, are fairly anti-men... Does that extend so far that even having, like, you know, that Leandrin visits someone? That could be an informant, that could be a friend, a relative. Do they, like, are we trying to establish that they hate men so much that associating with men on any level would get Leandrin in trouble? So I feel like Maureen wouldn't bring it up unless it was, like, more of, like, a conjugal visit type thing. Because... Again, she is a blue, so she certainly has some sort of information network like that. Leandrin's reaction to it made it also seem like it was, you know, like a more of a carnal affair. And I also imagine that Leandrin's probably surrounding herself with people who most closely share her anti-men views. Mm -hmm. To the point where, like, if they found out their sort of, like, troop leader was fucking some guy by the docks, like, they would be, you know, they'd kill him, and then they would, like, bring her it straight to the Amaralyn seat. So I can imagine, like, that is a very effective, no you, and then she just keeps walking away. I mean, we know the Reds are anti-men enough that they do not take warders, mm-hmm. which is a pretty, pretty extreme position for the Aes Sedai to give up this incredibly useful asset on principle. Mm. And also, the context of it feels very much like Moraine just saying, I do not have time for this. Like, yeah. this is not yeah. a small threat. This is not a reasonable ex- escalation. This is like, I have a nuclear bomb, right? Yeah. This is yeah. like mutually assured destruction. Which is why I sort of, from that interaction, assumed that the man that Leandrin goes to meet is a man who can channel. Huh. Right. Because mm. there's the other, because the other thing about it is Moraine doesn't say, I know about the man you're sleeping with. She says, I know about yeah. the man you visit. So I wonder to yeah. what degree she actually knows. Is it the mere implication that Leandrin mm. is, could be having an affair? Because if she knew Leandrin was having an affair, wouldn't she just say that? And so I wonder, like, yeah. does she have proof? Does she not have proof? And they do a lot this episode with, like, very careful phrasing of things that various Aes Sedai say. Mm. Uh, there's also a lot this episode... I sort of got of like people knowing stuff and like you know the blues having this extensive spy network like megan comes in is like moirin i know you sacked the taran ferry I've, <laughs> I've sent people to pay for it um and like stuff that like moraine says to nynaeve like she's like nynaeve why didn't you tell me like you nearly doomed this boy like with like your ignorance like i know what this is like i know things and like 
Egwene like tells her like, oh hey, uh, Perrin can control wolves with his mind, and Moraine's like, what? Hello, excuse <laughs> me, like don't tell. And like, there's a lot in this episode about like the flow of information and how all information is flowing towards Moraine. <laughs> I have people watching. I will know when they arrive. Right. I have that good authority. They're alive. Yeah. <laughs> Very so carefully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, which which made me wonder about. When she first is questioned by Suan in the room and she says that she can't say what she's been up to. Yeah. And so is she under an oath not to tell anyone who's oh. not involved in their plan? Because that's the only way I can think of that I can't would be accurate. Like mm-hmm. I'm physically unable to say in this yeah. space what oh, I've been dang. doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think when we say can't, even when pressed, can't or won't. When we say can't, like, that is a word with a flexible meaning. Like, she could mean, I can't because if I say, then I'll get stilled and the Dark One will win and the world will end. Like, that's a yeah. potent can't, even if she physically could form the words with her mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. it's it's... Yeah, and like, likewise, whenever they take an oath at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually like, because they're like, they're both holding the oath rod, lesbian leads, <laughs> object. Um, we can all see what's going on here. It's wonderful. But like the fact that Moiraine starts sort of like improvising on the oath rod, yeah. I'm like, girl, like <laughs> this is a magic item that like binds your words to you. Like, I know you're just saying, I love my fishwife, but like to say that on the oath rod is like a big deal. She's also very pointedly not saying that she will obey the Amerlin. She's saying she will obey Suan. Yeah. That feels like foreshadowing. I don't have the words down, but like, because Suan says the oath for Morin to repeat. Like, does she say it exactly the same? No. no. Not at all. No. <laughs> Suan says, uh-huh. like, I will obey the Amerlin seat. Moraine says, I will obey Suan Sanche. Yeah. 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 Sexy as a jellyfish. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Thick as a shark. <laughs> Wet as a salmon. Briny as the deep. <laughs> Wiggly as an eel. <laughs> Although this is a, this is a thing about that oath. Um both versions of the oath include this whole like or else may the creator turn his face yeah. from me and my soul be b- bound to darkness. But like so does this just not work on people who are cool with the the dark one? Because that seems like a pretty big loophole in your oaths. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm rotating the words dark friend and Aes in my head right now. <laughs> God, like, I get that, like, the Oathrod scene. It's because we have this, the like, the sexy sandwich of the first scene in the Hall of the Tower where Maureen, you're like, oh my god, she's terrified of the Amerlin. And like, two scenes later, they fuck, and you're like, oh my god, she's horny for the Amerlin. <laughs> and then we go back to the Hall of the Tower, and we have another scene, which like, equally is as tense, but with new context, and this time it's really horny. And also sad, and also sad, because who knows if they will ever see each other again. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, we do. <laughs> do we? I mean, yeah, Matt's out of the picture. Everything is changing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. like it, Our book knowledge is useless. In my head, as someone who... I always preface as someone who hasn't read the books as if that isn't clear by now. Um, it, it felt 
like there are stakes to it, but it didn't feel like this life-changing, earth-shattering event. Because again, we know that Swan can break, like, can like rescind the the exile. Presumably, Moray and the kids are gonna go to the eye of the world and take out the Dark One. No problem. Nothing bad's gonna happen to anyone, and she'll be able to go home in like a couple months, and everything will be fine. Job done. Job done. No problem. Job done. We did it. Simple as. I kind of felt that way through the making of the oath scene, but when Moraine leaves and all of the other sisters turn away from her, that's when it hits home of like, yeah, there are probably some permanent consequences to this. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Cause it's like, I, it, it feels like the thing is like, yeah, you theoretically can resend an exile like that, but it, I, I would imagine it's never been done before. And like, yeah, it will always yeah. have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the, yeah. this dance that they have to do to maintain Suan's power and to keep hiding their relationship. Uh, I guess I felt like it was probably very serious from right before she goes in and she's got tears in her eyes before she even goes in the room and Lan mm. asks her, do you want me there with you? <laughs> oh, yeah, because the, the scene when she's like at the top of the tower, like just staring out at the city mm-hmm. of Tarvalin, sort of thinking, never going to see this again, probably. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I mean... She says to Suan when they're talking about going to the eye of the world that all of these kids might die. <laughs> like they, mm. they might go and do this and everyone who's not the dragon might die. Mm-hmm. And that includes her potentially. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Which like feels kind of like the reason that Suan is like, oh, well, well we don't know that mm-hmm. for certain. You'll probably, you might be fine. You'll probably be fine, Morian, right? Please. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, imagine, like, this is basically someone saying, we need you to go to actual hell and kill Satan. Yeah, good luck. Cool, cool. Let's go. <laughs> and, and frankly, this is so serious and so important that if all of you die doing it, but you succeed, that's actually worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how she says when they're in the love shack that she would sooner kill all the kids than let the dragon fall into the hands of the dark one. And Swan's like, good. It's like, oh. Oh, she means business. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I actually, I noticed that because it sort of contrasts directly with what she says to Rand directly after like exercising Matt. Rand is like, oh my God, I like, I, I saw like the darkness was trying to take you. Like it was trying to go into your mouth. Like you, you did that. Like, thank you so much. And she's like, I would do the same for any of you. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like that's a very selfless act. It feels more like a, I need you all alive so I can enact my plans. Yeah, yeah, it's like you are resources that I am not mm-hmm. willing to dispose of. Yeah. Until the time is right. Yeah. And like just speaking of like Suan's power, um I kind of want to bring it back for a second to you know that first Logan trial scene. Mm-hmm. Just sort of again the, the way um the way she is being played and portrayed like during like Logan's trial, she's very she's very composed. Like Logan tries to like rile her up because he's fucking suicidal, and she will not be riled. She's just like I have my judgment. Like, and she's very like controlled, collected, and like just sharp with her judgment. But then whenever like Leandrin starts stirring stuff up and the Moran stuff starts happening, like she kind of loses it a little. Like you know, like whenever she starts, like she starts like yelling at Moiraine about how like this is my world, like you cannot disobey me, mm-hmm. and it. Whenever she starts doing that, it starts to feel 
kind of hollow. Hmm. Well, like the uh like various people have told Moraine since she got back, mm. Suan's grip on this organization is mm. not as strong as it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. at the same time, Loghain also mentions that like Suan is also losing like magical power too. Like he's like I and I guess he could have also been speaking more organizationally, but like several people mentioned that like yeah, the Amberlin seat's not what she used to be. So it it feels like not like death throws, but it you can kind of really sense like a lot of her desperation here. Cause again, she also knows that Satan's hanging out somewhere and we gotta take him down pretty soon. Otherwise things are gonna get really, really bad really fast. Yeah. I thought you were going to bring up the part of the trial where she talks about basically how they should have been willing to risk their own safety more in order to capture Loghain without gentling him. That for their position in the world at large, yeah, they should have been willing to take on more personal risk in the interest of maintaining this appearance of power and justice. Because Loghain mentions of like him being paraded through the streets. You get the feeling that had they not gentled him, they would have like just quietly shuffled him into the city under the cover of nightfall with nobody watching. But since they gentled him, they basically like, it seems like an overcorrection of them having to parade him through the streets and saying, look what we did. We're so powerful and great. Don't mess with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A naive kind of hints at this as well in her audience with Siwan when Siwan is like, wow, you're the most powerful channeler that's been seen in, how you know, recorded history. And naive is like, Wow, that must mean you all suck. Yeah. <laughs> God, so, so my favorite thing about when she says that is like Egwene's face. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. You're talking about me. That's me. You're, you're not talking about Nynaeve? What? It's so good. Like, she just preens under Swan's attention. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's the one who wants to join the Aes Sedai, right? She's yeah. the one who trusts Moraine the most. Everybody else hides things from Moraine or tries to. She's the only one who just walks straight up to her. Yeah. Okay, so Perrin's eyes turned golden and he called wolves. <laughs> FYI. Here's the, here's the rings back. Egwene, absolutely yeah. the valedictorian at Two Rivers High School. <laughs> this is a little teacher's pet. Yeah. National Honor Society. It's just the, the contrast between her and like Nynaeve, who just <laughs> hates being told what to do. Yeah, like on principle, which, you know, I really relate to. Yeah. Um, just the contrast between them is so good. Nani's like the kind of person who wants to do something, but if someone asked her to do the thing that she'd want to do, she would say no on principle. Listen, sometimes it'd be like that. I mean, it's good that this scene with the two of them was so good because it's basically the only thing they get to do this episode. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. It's so limited what everyone gets to do. Like... Listen, it's it's Moiraine's show. We're all just living it. That's true. It's just... It's because, again, we see... Egwene more than any of the other kids and she has two scenes instead of one like it really yeah what if Moraine is the dragon reborn whoa Mm. how many years too old is she fuck knows this kind of calls to the conversation that Moraine had with um I it was either with Rand or Nynaeve about like what form the dragon will take because again like you know Rand says you know, does this mean Matt's not the dragon after she takes the carpet from his mouth? And she's like, well, under any other circumstance, he would have died long ago. So he's way stronger than he has any right to be. 
And she yeah. recounts a legend. I, I it might not have been with Randon this scene, but she mentions that like yeah, she talked about that with Swan because it was, was okay. Swan, yeah, was... she was like some people talk of a, a many-headed dragon. So the idea that the dragon's soul, I don't know, got crushed under the wheel and was split into several could is a cool idea here. Still continuing to throw people off the trail of who the dragon could possibly be. Yeah, I mean, what if they get to the eye of the world and it turns out that the dragon was Matt all along? That that that's such a could, oh my god could gosh. be bad for them. Yeah. Wait, hold like, on. Again. I'm gonna text Katie, and whenever she gets back to me, I'll let <laughs> you know what I, I need to get a weekly update now. <laughs> Katie did not reply during the course of this recording, but as of episode six, she was still firmly in the Nynaeve or Rand camp. Uh, yeah, like I, what I really like about the sort of many-headed dragon legend is that it it sort of validates things that we said like last episode or two episodes ago about like what if it's just the real dragon reborn was all of them at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the Captain Planet. I mean, this is yeah. like this is another Game of Thrones comparison, but um, I don't remember if they do this in the in the show, which I kind of stopped watching really quickly, but. In the books, at least, there is a lot of talk about, like, the dragon will have multiple heads. Yeah. And oh, we had yeah, always, yeah. like, there was a lot of theory casting about, like, who are the other heads of the dragon? Yeah. Uh, and so this, this feels like a similar kind of suggestion. You know, even if the show does be like, this person's the dragon reborn, I do hope that they keep that thread in the show. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when whoever does get revealed to be the dragon, like... It's not like the other characters don't already have their own paths to take outside of that. Like, yeah. if 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 Perrin is revealed not to be the dragon, he can go to he can go to the dog pound and hang out. Like, <laughs> he still has his whole path ahead of him to take. He's gonna need a, like an emotional support animal to help him get over the whole killing his wife thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. a whole pack of emotional support animals. I'm gonna get Jimmy casted in Wheel of Time season two. <laughs> It'll happen. <laughs> one thing i'd wanted to mention i don't know if i typed it up Mm -hmm. i really like the contrast between how rand and the gang talk to loyal and how moiraine talks to loyal you Mm. can it's like she knows the correct way she's like you honor me like the builders honor me and it's this it's like this whole song and dance she has to do to, to like kind of speak on equal terms with him and you, it's like, it, you get the feeling that the Ogier are this, like, these, this ancient and respected race that, like, only, I mean, it's either that Rand and the gang are from the backwoods and don't know about this, or only the Aes Sedai kind of can truly appreciate, like, what they are, I guess. But mm-hmm. it was really interesting to see the quote-unquote correct way to talk to this guy. And you can tell he loves it. It's great. I love Loyal. He's mm-hmm. so nice. Mm-hmm. Stand loyal. <laughs> Remain loyal to Loyal. Hey. hey. <laughs> I love the idea of these like physical portals you have to like interact with to open the ways like mm-hmm. and on the inside it is this pitch black realm of darkness and stone and you just hear lightning or you see lightning and hear thunder and it's just like it's about as bleak and freaky and when Loyal talks about you know he's starting to give this whole speech like oh a step here could be miles in the real world every breath you take and, and Warren is like it's the quickest way to get to the dark one let's go. Um, it's, yeah. it's like the Minecraft nether where one step in the nether is 16 or maybe it's 16 steps in the nether is one block in real life. One or the other. It's a very <laughs> cool thing. And this is also part of, um, my notes that I posted in discord earlier. This episode introduces 
two different forms of sort of like teleportation or like mm, mm. transportation based magic because Moraine, you know, weaves of weaves of the one power at the painting on her wall that transports her to the love shack. This seems a lot more powerful than that, but it seems that transportation magic in this world has to be tethered by some sort of like physical location to be able to use it, like a ley line of sorts, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's it's just an mm-hmm. it's a neat wrinkle in the matter system that I like to see that it's not all just like, you know, throwing fireballs and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only thing that I have to say about the ways is that it really bothers me the uh lighting changes from when they go outside the ways and when they go inside the ways. Like as soon as they're in the ways, like obviously like inside like a studio environment, like the lighting is so yellow and I'm just getting mad. I'm like, could they not have tweaked it to be the same as outside? It really bothers me. Like it really bothers me. Even though they switch to torches and stuff? Well, no, because the, the, the way it's lit is that there's the lightning from inside the ways flashing against them and then like they're backlit by this like really like yellowy mm. sunlight light mm-hmm. whenever the day that was filmed the outside stuff on the hill is a super grey and super cloudy day. You okay. bothered mad enough that you didn't go with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for some reason I, I may have just mixed up or not been paying enough attention to the lighting, but I thought the yellowy light was after they had lit the torches and that that was why mm-hmm. it was so much like warmer looking. But uh, this just <laughs> it bothered me. That's it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, is that all the non-spoiler things that we can say about the episode? I guess the fact that the dagger is still around is something that's like worth remembering in the future because it's like this evil artifact they can't destroy and Mm. i was a little surprised when moraine is like if he touches it again he'll die and i'm like aren't you gonna squirrel it away to some hidey hole where nobody can get at it like what how would he touch it again well how did he find it in the first place nina he was led to it (laughs) he's reading the walkthrough doesn't matter where moraine hides it he'll find it if he wants it yeah um oh i guess um I guess I do have some predictions, some more predictions outside of... Let's go. Matt's still around. The dagger's still around. We know Padden feigns in Tar Valon. I'm going Pepe Sylvia right now. So either Matt is going to meet up with Padden Fane, and maybe Padden Fane's going to try and recruit him to, the, to uh, uh, be a dark friend and like successfully pull him over to be like, yeah, the Aes Sedai are leading your friends to die. We're trying to break the wheel and ensure a better, you know, like make the future not suck for everyone. Let's go get that dagger, champ. Um, <laughs> the same time, Tom's also alive. So I can also see Matt going to seek out Tom instead. Um, <sighs> Valda's still alive, I'm convinced, but it's not like he can enter the ways and I don't think they let the Children of Light into Tarvalon. So I don't know where... Unless Matt travels out and uh, Valda sees a different kid he recognizes from, like, the second or third episode. Um, I imagine that by the time Moiraine and the gang get back from the Eye of the World... I don't think anyone's going to die at the Eye of the World. I'm, I feel like there's too much stuff for the character... Like, I guess if anyone's going to die at the eye of the world, I would think it to be Egwene because she has the most simple idea of the future for her. She wants to become an Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have doggy powers. She's not an Aielman who's not an Aielman. Like <laughs> Nynaeve is the most powerful channeler they've ever seen. 
and Egwene just wants to, you know, work in fantasy high school. So I feel like if anyone's going to die, it's her, but I don't <laughs> think anyone's going to die. But I can definitely see, uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't, I think it would be most interesting if they get back in like Leandrin's the Amaralyn seat somehow. Like just, she's allowed to come back because Suan Sanch is not in charge anymore. If, if the exile doesn't hold up that way. But it is this insanely hostile environment because her number one enemy is in charge. So I can I would like to see them come back to a different social environment. Oh, and I I don't think we're seeing Loghain anymore. I wanted Matt to meet Loghain, but now that the carpet's gone from him, I don't think it would be as interesting. So that's all I got. Cool. Thank you very much for your predictions, Max. And thank you very much, listeners, for tuning in to our regularly scheduled episode of Nevermind the Trollocs. Now we're finished with not minding the Trollocs, let's uh, never mind some spoilers. Um, where do we want to start? Ha! I know where we want to start. With Tom's chaos idea. What was yeah. that? Yeah. All right. Okay. So this is like a small element in the books, but there are multiple parallel universes in Wheel of Time world. <laughs> okay. Yes. And they, they, they do like cross over between different ones at different times. Right. Mm-hmm. So here's the chaos theory. Uh, they do their thing. They like are coming back and to come back, they have to travel through the like different worlds nexus thing. Uh-huh. And when they come back, they return to a world that is exactly identical to the one they left, except Matt looks different. <laughs> it's crisis on infinite wheels. <laughs> Extremely good shit. That's great. They went one universe to the left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're going to call attention to the fact that he looks different. I think they're just going to play it off like nothing changed. Yeah. They'll, they'll yeah. have to like make it very obvious in whatever C introduces him in season two, episode one, of being like, that's Matt Cawthon. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. But, c- because otherwise it won't be obvious unless you're like, you know, reading like pressers beforehand or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I feel like it'll just be like, by the way, this is Matt now. Get used to it. Before watching this episode, the other thing I thought they might do is just have him get like progressively more messed up by the dagger. And then mm. when they like suck the evil out of him, it's like, oh, he just looks different it's just now. Just a different guy. Now <laughs> <laughs> that, that dagger really changes you, Matt. My <laughs> prediction is actually because he was very compelled by uh, Dana's description of how good it would be to go someplace where nobody knows you and you can be whoever you want, yeah. that he is just going to like fuck off to some place and pretend mm. to be someone else uh, until events uh, conspire to pull him back into mm. all the craziness. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's going to pull a fucking Quattro Bagina and just like <laughs> insist, <laughs> insist that he's somebody else. And all of his friends are like, you're Matt Cawthon. And he's like, no, no, in fact, I am not. I am Ebenezer Testicles. Quintadongus will return. In this moment, I am simply... <laughs> yeah. I am merely a, a successful horse trader. Child Valda, I have never betrayed anyone in my life ever. <laughs> I have never left any parties in my life. Um. So this episode is called The Flame of Tarvalon. Do we 
have we seen the flame of Tarvalon at all in this yeah. mo- in this it's show? When they is they put the rings into the soup. That's the that's the fondue pot. No, but the the this but the symbol, oh. the symbol, the sigil. Oh, because oh. we the, did see we saw a git apostrophe this episode. Okay, because in I, the intro because we've seen the dragon's fang three times now. We saw the the sheep apostrophe in the. The first episode, yeah. we saw the sacred apostrophe in the the third, <laughs> third. I think, um, fourth, third. It was a third. And then at the beginning yeah. of this episode, the like superstitious villagers really tried to put the apostrophe into this uh, family. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saving that one the whole episode. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, I liked it. Shot through the heart. Uh, oh, by the way, what do can you tell me what the Asia colors are? The other three. Um. Well, it's a album by Steely Dan. <laughs> and and cars is still in space. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so um there's like the whites who are the fucking um nerds. Philosophers, logicians. Oh, the scholars. Well, okay. yes, they they do philosophy and logic and stuff, but then there's also the Brainasia who do like studying and love books and knowledge and live in the library, which is also why you nerds. never see any of them outside the White Tower, because they just they're just in the library. Mm-hmm. They're kind of the the mobile suit breakdown of Aja's <laughs> preservationists yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and then the greys are um like diplomats like diplomats and mediators like okay. they'll attach themselves to political powers to like advise kings mm, and queens okay. on you know they're the united nations of Aes Sedai. so that makes sense what we haven't seen or heard from them at all okay yeah they're the, they're all nerds um and then you know yellows are doing healing uh Greens are doing fighting, reds are doing girl boss, girl boss shit, and blues are doing espionage. Cool. Which uh, blues are the gaslight, greens <laughs> are the gatekeep, reds are the girl boss. Yeah, I uh, I consulted a wiki because I was trying to remember what all the Aja do, and there's a certain amount of like disconnect between how they're described and what they actually do. Yeah. It, at least in the the wiki that I read, blue is supposed to be all about like righteousness and justice. And I'm like, yeah, wait, but they're the spy ones. This <laughs> I don't... Is, it feels like a change that they've intentionally made. Yeah. But like it is in keeping with the books. Because like, in the books, the blues are shown to always have this extensive spy network and right. to always know what's going on in the world. Yeah. Well, because in the in the books, one gets the sense that the other Aes Sedai don't really go out that much. Yeah. Yeah, like the Reds go out in order to find men who can channel. The and- the other thing about the Reds, which I assume they're saving because it's going to be very dramatic later potentially, but that Reds don't just hunt men who channel. They also hunt women who channel if they feel like those women are a threat to like the Aes Sedai right. or the like world order. Their their whole thing yeah. is like misuse of the power, right? right. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's been made fairly clear in the show. They maintain the magical status quo. I do think like in the show, whenever they've talked about reds, like they've the reds have been like, we correct or prevent misuses of the one part, like Whenever they talk about themselves, they're like, we make sure it's being used right. But, but the focus has been so much on the like men who can channel and on how mm. the Reds hate men. It kind of elides that that could apply to women, too. And the show has not focused on Wilders at all. I don't think they've even said the word Wilder. They have not. And there's been no discussion about like what it means to be a Wilder that like 
most women who awaken to the power and don't have the tower's help die. Yeah. That the tower like cracks down on any women who channel without their permission. Like Yeah, they've because they've not made any kind of distinction between people who can learn to channel and people who are born already knowing how to channel. And the only reference we've had to any kind of training or knowledge base outside of the Aes Sedai is Valda saying that he heard all the hand gestures and the talking and everything isn't even really necessary, mm. that some women can channel without all of that. Mm. But we've never seen it. It's never been shown. Well, and we've also been told that the wisdoms of the two rivers, like, traditionally have some one power stuff going on. Mm -hmm. um, and in the books, that's a thing that the Aes Sedai find out and are, like, surprised by. Whereas in the show, Moraine is just like, well, yeah, duh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, in the show, she's very accepting of, it seems like it's fine for women who aren't in the one, in the tire to channel. And if they keep to that, that's going to be a major change for the sort of like politics of later seasons, mm. like mm. the kin. Mm. I mean, that's a whole. Yeah, like, I yeah. guess maybe we'll just find out that it's Moraine who's chill. Yeah. And that everyone else is actually cares about this. Mm. Although, actually, because in this episode, we do it, we do establish that like in Tyr, if you can channel, people will come and burn down your house. But Tyr is all Tyr has always been like especially superstitious and like hateful about channeling yeah yeah what was it it's an episode or two ago but leandrin has that line where she's very certain that Nynaeve will uh will become a novice mm. and is she certain because she thinks she understands Nynaeve and Nynaeve will want to train with them or is she certain because Nynaeve won't have a choice <laughs> they will not let her out into the world powerful as she is unless she becomes one of them Oh yeah, I think at the time I definitely took it as the latter there. I'm just, just thinking about like changes and I'm genuinely convinced or genuinely very worried that like Barney's leaving the show will have like irrevocably changed what Matt's character is like. Because Barney was so good at playing Matt as like the scoundrel type? No, because like that decision to just fuck off is a lot just more sinister than the kind of Matt that I know. Like, I sure, but doesn't I mean I feel like Matt has a couple of moments in the books where he does just kind of decide to fuck off, and he he but comes the thing back. Is, like, I feel like a lot of the times in the books, Matt all he wants to do is fuck off, but he never actually does it. Like at the bottom line, like if someone needs him in a place, like he like sort of kicking and screaming almost like against himself, he does come to people's aid when he is needed. That just gives him more room to grow. Mm. Just to clarify, he does go with them in the ways in the books, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I also think that because I, like, this is fitting in with the fact that the dagger was removed from in him and he's just fine now because like, Mike's for context, like his sort of dagger arc lasted three books, mm. pretty much. In, yeah, it, and, it lasted and a long healing time. Healing him required like six sisters working together. Yeah, I was yeah. I was gonna mention like it seemed it's it was too easy that Maureen can just roll and be like, all right, mine now, you're good. Like Is there a is there a bit when he gets kind of like partly healed? I think so. That sounds yeah. familiar. That like they they draw out some of the evil, but it's it's and it's like enough to keep him going for a little bit, but not enough to heal heal him completely. 
Like, maybe we're going to do that. Yeah. Like, she didn't completely fix it. Like, she mm-hmm. thinks she got all of it, but there's still some carpet down in, the, like, the deep bowels. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's going to keep growing inside him. Yeah, she forgot his pancreas. Yeah, she, like, cleaned him, cleaned him out, but she needs to, like, leave him in a very hot place to just air he's got, he's got the He's got the magical TB. <laughs> it's very yeah. antibiotics resistant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be- because we're just not going to get any more development about that in this mm-hmm. season, I'm sort of, like... It's it's kind of soured me on the show almost. Oh, I don't know. Like it just it bothers me so much that Barney left. Yeah, I I just re- I really liked him in this role. I guess my my big thing is I hope he didn't do anything bad to anybody else on the crew, yeah. and I hope that he is okay because the other thing that occurred to me is like he might be sick or have had like a mental health issue or mm-hmm. something like. I read that Esquire article. They all relocated to Poland for this. So yeah. that's like a major move during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, that age is like prime onset for a bunch of serious mental health stuff for men. That like yeah. early 20s age. Um, so I hope he's okay. Yeah. I really liked him in this. I hope that like we hear from him again. Just like in yeah. general. Yeah. Like in life. Um, and that he like does other stuff. Um, I don't, I think from what okay in my corner of Wheelie Time Twitter, which I curate very carefully, <laughs> <laughs> um, people seem to be fairly accepting of like a change, uh, unwilling to be like, oh, new actor, mm-hmm. wonder what happened. I mean, we have to accept that if they're going to make it through the whole series, and that's by no means guaranteed, but like, that's a long, long time yeah. in an actor's career. To be tied down to one show. I'm kind of yeah. amazed Rosamund Pike committed to it. Yeah. Because Rosamund Pike's a fucking producer <laughs> in this show. Oh, well, maybe maybe she's a fan. Maybe she had read the books she and was like, know. yeah, this is going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> can sort of answer this question? Because I do remember hearing about her. She was the first person to ever be cast for this. And, oh, wow. You know, she was... She created an Instagram account for herself for this. Like she was not on social media at all until Willie Time stuff. Damn, and, like, so she, she's she's in it. Yeah, and like I think her first post was a post of her like in her normal like blonde haired Rosamund Pike just like reading a Wheel of Time book, sort of. And it seemed as if that was her starting to read and get into it. And like I don't think she had read the series before <laughs> this, but I yeah. could be I misremembering mean, the, from when we talked about how much it's become the Moraine show. I was thinking, I was wondering, on the one hand, in the books, when you're translating the books to TV, it kind of makes sense because she's the person with the most agency mm. of the group. The The kids are just along for the ride. And until they're on their own and making their own decisions, they're, they don't really work as main characters. Yeah. But I also wondered if they structured it this way because she's just so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just look at this episode. She well, fucking is. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like every scene that they have added, every scene that wasn't in the books that is in the show, is a Moraine focused scene. Yeah. I can definitely see like season one finishing and season two beginning, and people look at season one as the Moraine season, and they look at season two as the dragon season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Also, Tom, I don't think you're entirely right. Because isn't uh, Egwene and Perrin being captured by the White Cloaks new? No, I think they're captured by White Cloaks in the book. Really? The the Layla killing, like the bad thing that Perrin does that he 
tortures himself over for books is that he kills a whole bunch of white cloaks during like around this time. Yeah, I have a terrible memory. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the the first book is like kind of a like a building's Roman for Rand, just like a what you know development of him as a person coming as, of as age, a coming novel. of age story. As a, uh, you know, hero's journey, he goes on this journey and he learns to sword fight real good from Lan and he learns to deal with his feelings real bad also from Lan. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) you know, it's, um, it's fine, but it's a story we've seen a million times already. Mm. And the story of like Moraine, the like lesbian, lesbian witch university professor going on a quest to kill satan like that's a much more interesting story yeah yeah although her and her her five hobbit companions <laughs> i am actually surprised that they are going to the eye of the world because like the way the series was going i was like oh fuck yeah we're in, like new territory we're just gonna you know we're gonna do the stone of tear speedrun strat skip um Especially since we like saw the Stone of Tear, maybe possibly in like the cold open, like in the background. I was like, oh, let's fucking go straight to the Stone of Tear. Boom, boom, boom. Let's go. Calendar, glass door. Boom, boom. Dragon, like dropping dragon reborn. But no, like I was surprised when Swan like swerved the plot back to book one, The Eye of the World by Robert Jordan, published 1990. <laughs> like I'm genuinely kind of surprised that we're going there, but I'm excited. I feel like The Eye of the World part especially with the ways and the borderlands mm. sets up a lot of stuff that's going to be important for later seasons. Yeah. Like it is a sort of, yeah, we'll find well, out I also don't, what it is. I don't know when they got the news that they had been renewed for a second season, but um, like in the book, the eye of the world is a neat ending point. If you're not going to get a sequel. Yeah. I'm trying to think again through my, I don't think they were renewed for a second season before they went off on covid break i can't remember actually it was definitely after filming had started which sort of indicates that it was after everything had been more or less written um and sort of set in that direction um okay before we leave the spoiler zone i do need to talk about pillow friends before we talk about pillow friends i have one prediction Yes. Which is, I think that the man Leandrin is going to meet in North Harbor is not a man who can channel, or that's not the important thing about him. I think that's her dark friend Handler. Ooh, I forgot she was a dark friend. (laughs) Not surprising in the least. I bet you couldn't have seen this one coming, Max. Oh, the most evil looking of the Aes Sedai. I, oh, I think I was getting her mixed up with Elida, like... I actually was wondering if they were going to elide those two characters. <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of was wondering if she was going to become elidified. Um, Elida pilled. Elida pilled. Red pilled. Elida. I hardly know her. Hey. Um. Yeah. Sort of. I guess related to red pilling. Like so. Basically, there was. Um, because I've curated my own personal uh, witty time related Twitter feed on my own personal account, but over on the show account, I've just been like, eh, let's follow a bunch of witty time accounts, whatever. Um, so whenever I go over there, like, it switches to, like, I've got on my normal, like, people who are sort of who like lesbians and who are sort of vaguely excited about the show, and then I kind of tab over to the podcast account, and it's it's not even the accounts I follow, it's the, like, suggested accounts and suggested tweets, because Twitter just keeps 
spitting out stuff at me. Every time I get a suggested tweet, it's like, hey, do you want to read the worst take you've ever seen? <laughs> do you want to be mad for the rest of the week about this tweet? We <laughs> yeah. have a curated selection of tweets oh. guaranteed to enrage you. Yeah. Um, so the one for this week and this episode uh, was like, oh, I can't believe they made them lesbians. Um, when the thing is, Max, yes. they were lesbians in the books. Like, they were quote-unquote pillow friends, which mm. is... Um, it's a euphemism. No, no, well, it is a euphemism, but it the way that Robert Jordan quote-unquote defines pillow friends... Wait a second. You have I'll a big book. I'll read it to you. <laughs> In my Wheel of Time companion guide, which is bigger than my head. <laughs> Can you hear that, listeners? It's fucking hefty. Uh, let me just go to P for pillow friends. It's full of post-its. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing with this before. I must. I, it was honestly probably relig- related to my fucking dissertation. Um, pillow friend, a term used for young women at the White Tower who formed a romantic attachment to one another. Behaviours associated with this appellation generally ended when one or both parties were raised to the shawl. So it's lesbians in the way that you would be like, no, I had fun in college. Yeah. Kind of lesbians. Yeah. I mean, it's clear that Robert Jordan doesn't quite think this is a re- as a, that this is a real sexuality. I mean, I, it doesn't surprise me in the least that people would either deliberately or based on their preconceptions misconstrue a very obvious integral part of a character because it doesn't fit their you know, view of what they think that character should be. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm making surprised Pikachu face right now. The the Pillow Friends thing is like backstory from the prequel novel that I certainly didn't read and probably a lot of people didn't read, mm-hmm. um, New, New Spring. Whereas in the mainline story, both of them get like compat, like male lovers. Mm. Yeah. Cause so, I think- I can understand why people would not know about that that bit of backstory. Um, yeah. That is no excuse for being shitty about it. Though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's also like readers reading the books heterosexually. Because, like, I read the book, like, you know, like, listen, I was part of the Wheel of Time Tumblr fandom. Like, Suarein was the biggest ship based on people who had, like, not even read New Spring. Like, it was, honestly, <laughs> wow. Robert Jordan is so bad at writing romance that, like, the sort of unintentional romance he wrote between Swan and Maureen, where, like, they just have kind of gay vibes, like, was more compelling than, like, Lan and Nynaeve. Now, this is specifically the Tumblr fandom where everything is gay. Um, you know, I'm sure it's not like that out in the wider world of Wheel of Time fans. <laughs> but, like, it still exists in the mainline books. Um... But what people were, again, to to bring it back to that sort of Robert Jordan doesn't know what a lesbian is or what sexuality is, um, people on Twitter were like citing this line again from the Wheel of Time companion, which I would like to read to you now. Maureen was novice and accepted with Swan. They arrived on the same day. Even more unusually, were raised. I said on the same day. Whatever, whatever. She and Swan became very close friends, as was common with a good many friendships in the cloistered society of novices. Swan and Maureen turned to one another more and more for comfort, and they eventually became pillow friends, continuing up to the time that they were raised. I said I, and to some extent for a time then after. 
Neither was lesbian. That's what the sentence says. The <laughs> sentence says neither was lesbian. Um, they were simply young women with normal libidos in a situation where they were cut off from the opposite sex. Thanks, Robert Jordan. We're all making the same face at the camera right now. Well, he yeah. has, I mean, it's. I don't remember any gay relationships in the books whatsoever. So he clearly didn't think anybody was gay. Yeah. <laughs> That's just not a thing. <laughs> I'm going to make things worse. I'm about to make things a lot worse. There are certain <laughs> gay relationships oh boy. in the books um, by red sisters who are uh, sort of portrayed as predatory evil lesbians who are... I'm pretty sure every quote-unquote lesbian character in the books is a dark friend and who sort of uses her lesbian wiles to manipulate women for evil purposes. Wow. It's not great. No. It's not great. So I think my point with all this is I just want to point out that Rafe Judkins, the showrunner of creator of the TV show Wheel of Time, is gay, has a husband, has looked at this and been like, Yep, this sucks. <laughs> Let's do it better. Let's do it exactly. better. Yeah. And it makes so much more sense for just the fact that from what is revealed in this episode, it is like Swan and Maureen against the world and against yeah. the rest of the White Tar on their special quest. And not only is it adding more representation than there would have been otherwise, but it's making all the right people really fucking mad about it. So, you know, to block them on every platform you see them on. Yeah, yeah. This show was never going to work if they weren't willing to, like, take corrective measures against the shitty gender stuff in the books. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad they've changed that. It just, it gives me so much hope for the TV show. Because, like, there's, there's, like, Wheel of Time has kind of been, like, my main sort of book series that I read and reread over and over again. And there are parts of it that I just, like, abjectly hate. Like the predatory lesbian stuff oh speaking of the lead creator person tom was saying his husband is one of the warders so i i had read this somewhere but um when i read it it said boyfriend and i'm not seeing oh i'm trying to confirm whether he's married or not Mm. marriage is fake Um, no offense (laughs) no it's cool we we fully understand (laughs) <laughs> no offense to anyone who may be fired or considering the following maybe we have to cut that because um, I know Katie listens to the show <laughs> by the point this well she doesn't listen to the spoiler section anyway ah okay on the, on the, the spoilers is your engagement <laughs> on the um, wheel of time dash prime dot fandom dot com oh, yeah. wiki for Rave <laughs> oh, Judgment there's a separate hell yeah for let's show. go let's uh, fucking it go. says that he is dating uh, the actor who plays Maxim, which is one of Alana's two warders. Good, Good for, for them. Soup to soup communication. Whoa. <laughs> Do we have any more spoilers from the uh, Riff Judkins personal life section of the Wheel of Time Wikipedia page? <laughs> uh, no, but I found a um, a thread on Reddit from three years ago <laughs> where someone was predicting that uh, Taylor Napier, who is the actor who plays Maxim, uh, would be Rand because he had been spotted hanging around with Rafe a lot. <laughs> they're just coworkers. They're coworkers. They're just they're just guys being dudes. They're just buddies. God. They have a very close working relationship. Oh my gosh. Historians believe these two were friends, perhaps even cousins. Is that is that us for spoiler section? Yes. 
Um, yeah, to close out, listeners, I, I hate to recommend that anyone visit the terrible website of Amazon.com, um, but um, homophobes have been, like, ratings bombing the show and giving it, like, it has a surprisingly, for, like, being the number one ever fucking streaming show ever in the whole history of Amazon ever, it has a quite a low, like, star rating, so I guess go and combat homophobia by giving... Amazon's Wheel of Time a five star review. Yeah, uh, we also, live in the worst timeline. Also, combat it by or combat the people who don't understand what an adaptation is and think that every single little thing that has been changed from the books makes it bad. Mm. Mm. And you know, while you're at it, there are probably some places you could go to rate this podcast five <laughs> stars as well. There it is. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Thank you very much for, uh, I see that you've gone, you've paused this podcast, you've gone and done that, and now you're back. That was so wonderful of you to do. Thanks so much. It's a binding much. contract. By listening to this um, audio, you've held the little rod, and you will have done this. <laughs> yeah, our fingers brushed, and now you have to rate us five stars. Um, Thank you for listening. We all have other podcasts. We're all wonderful people that you should follow on the internet and develop parasocial relationships, but please be normal about it. Thank you. And you can find all those places in the show notes. Uh, You can find this podcast specifically on twitter.com at nvmthetrollocks. Uh, you can go to nevermindthetrollocks.com. That will lead you directly to our RSS feed. Very handy when you're uh, recommending it to friends, which you should do. And you can email us. Uh, it definitely, if you have thoughts on things that we've talked about and you want to contribute your opinion about colorism, homophobia, anything else we've talked about that sort of seemed to have a bit of a loose end, uh, then definitely email that to nevermindthetrollocks at gmail.com and we will do a wrap-up episode at the end of the show. And uh, maybe not read out everyone's opinions, but try and voice everyone's opinions. And I'm so fucking sorry. That was disgusting. (laughs) No one has ever called me a professional podcaster. Um, so never mind the burp I just did. Um, well, now you have to leave it um, in. Sarah's trick. Were you going to say never mind the Trollocs? <laughs> <laughs>